Hello friends, welcome to another episode of the TFC Audio Project. On this episode of Shop Talk, Mike and I go over the history of medicine. Since its inception, the institution of medicine has gone through a lot of evolution, and although it can be life-saving when it comes to acute issues like fractures um, or infections, the biggest threats today are no longer acute, and medicine is starting to lose its effectiveness. We define medicine, we go through a brief history of the significant leaps and important people throughout uh, its history, and we finished by discussing how modern medicine needs to shift its focus from managing symptoms to treating the root cause of disease if it's going to continue to be helpful and effective in the modern age. We really enjoyed researching for this one and airing out some important concepts, and we hope you enjoy the conversation. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by TFC App. With an expanding global tribe of health nerds, TFC set out to create a platform that will allow the tribe to share our learning journey with others and inspire people around the world to live a more natural lifestyle. A major goal of the app is to provide a platform for science-based health education. The internet has become a messy world these days, and when it comes to health, there's a lot of confusing opinions floating around. We're using the principles of science and strict content guidelines to give you the most powerful and helpful information so you can reclaim optimal health. The app is available now on the iOS App Store or Google App Store, uh, and you can download it by looking up The Foot Collective, uh, and we're going to be doing a full feature launch on November 1st. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by the Roasters Pack. Our team at TSC Head Office are big fans of coffee before 11 a.m., and this Canadian company provides a unique service that delivers you three great coffees to your door each month and gives you the story behind each of the craft roasters that they come from. Check out theroasterspack.com, use the code FOOT at checkout, and you'll get 7 bucks off your first month of any subscription, which starts at 27 a month all in, including shipping and taxes, so it ends up being less than a buck per cup, and it's a good deal. Um, this episode is also sponsored by our travel partner, Nanook Protective Hard Cases, uh, which we use to transport gear to and from our seminars and workshops. They make professional-grade, super-high-quality hard cases in Canada that can keep your electronics safe during travel, and you can check out their stuff at nanook.com, N-A-N-U-K.com. That's it for sponsors, so let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. It's a collective effort. Help people understand their bodies, starting at the feet are the gateway for people to see that there's an issue. You know, a foot conversation is always a whole body conversation. Hey folks, Nick and Mike here, back for another episode of Shop Talk. On today's episode, we're going to cover the history of medicine. Um, since its inception, medicine has gone through a lot of evolution, and we wanted to investigate the history, hoping that it sheds a bit of light on how we got to where we are today, because we're in a very strange place. Uh, a place with a lot of opportunity, but also a place where we seem to be a bit confused about, you know, what medicine was first intended to do. Um, and we just have to kind of get back to that kind of root purpose. So we want to go through the history today. Um, you know, conventional medicine today is no longer being effective. Um, and we'll talk about that at the end. But um, we're going to go from where medicine started, how it evolved, and we'll finish with where we are now. And maybe, um, you know, we'll have a conversation on potential solutions to the problems that we're facing today. Um, we defined medicine in episode 32, where we talk, covered game theory of health, but just to kind of, I think the nomenclature is important to talk about at the start. So let's start there. And the the, the definitions that I found online, it kind of has a, well, there was two met, uh, meanings listed for medicine. The first one was the science of practice of the, the science and practice of the diagnosis, treatment and prevention of disease. And I think that's a good definition, but I also think that the order of which they're listed with diagnosis and treatment listed first also serves as an indication of where our priorities are today, where we like to diagnose and we like to treat, you know, and I think it can be contested that what we think of treatment probably isn't the best way today. Um, but it seems like prevention just kind of got loft off there, right? Yeah. We, we don't prevent problems. We just treat, we, we tell people what's wrong with them and we give them things to mask the symptoms, but we don't focus on the important part. Which, in a time where acute diseases and, and, and uh, things like infections and uh, life-threatening illnesses and uh, all of the biggest causes of death, as we'll get into... Those were important were, back then. They only showed up when they were present, and then so it was important to diagnose them and treat them. And yes. then that's where it became very effective. So that's, however, as we'll see in, in like today's time, all of the, the biggest killers and uh and uh causes of death are preventable so so now like you say it's almost like well it's one thing if, if it's a preventable disease it's not so good to just 
diagnose, diagnose it, it when it yeah. shows up and then treat it because you've yeah. you're, you've like it's decades in the making so you've and already even the, even the context of the treatment like it's not the same anymore no exactly so yeah. i think that's what we'll get to in through all this and hopefully the, the history like again this is a huge topic so it'll just be more of a glazing over them yeah but the history of it but, but how we got to where we are today i don't know if you found this makes a lot more sense to me now knowing how medicine developed because exactly. it, it makes sense right it doesn't it's not right for today it's not appropriate or effective today but how we got here makes sense when you look at the history of how medicine evolved exactly the second definition um that you'll find if you look up medicine is a compound or preparation used for the treatment or prevention of disease especially a drug or drugs taken by mouth and i think everyone knows this one and i think this too is one where we focus more on the meaning of medicine as something you take to treat the symptoms of a problem yeah more so than taking a more global view of like we said, preventing the problem or actually finding out what the root cause is and dealing with that. So those are the definitions of medicine. Um, and let's get into this kind of windy road of the history of medicine, where it started, its roots, and then kind of do a, you know, a fairly quick roller coaster ride through the history of medicine and kind of like just talk about major landmarks of where it pivoted, uh, big moments in progress. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So without getting too bogged down in, in details, um, one of the first things that we should note is that like herbal medicine has, has been around it, and uh, it dates back approximately 60,000 years where they can find evidence of herbal medicine being used. And it's probably limited um, by how far we can actually find exactly. evidence more so than how long it's been used for. But, but that is, it actually raises an interesting point. Um, and then this, uh, what I found is the Sumerians compiled a list that, that was kind of the first list they found. It was like a, a book of uh, medicinal plants. And, and this was actually around hmm. 5,000 years ago. So, cool. so we've been using these, these plants as medicines. And I think it shows us that we've, we've co-evolved with, with plants and we've been using these plant compounds for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Um, what's interesting is that these days we think of herbal medicine as like woo-woo. However, if you look at all of the drugs that have been developed, they're all either from plant compounds, bacteria, yeah. they're all biological compounds, plants, bacteria, um, as we'll see. They've been brought into a laboratory and um, synthesized manipulated. and manipulated, but they're all based on these compounds that we've been using for 60,000, 100,000, whatever. We've been using it for like uh, as long as we can look back in time at yeah. it and saying, okay, so herbal medicines, woo-woo, pharmaceutical drugs, that's the way we need to go. Yeah. There's the same thing. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's very interesting. And in fact, a lot of times plants didn't actually mess you up. Like if you were yeah. talking about taking a plant for a problem, you usually didn't have to list off 50 things that it could possibly do, to kill, including killing you yeah. like we do with modern pharmaceuticals. So and I think it, the simplicity of plants is actually much more effective and elegant if you know the right place to use it. Exactly. Um, so, so yeah, that's interesting. But I think... Getting into a bit more of the history, um, a, few, a few things. The Egyptians and Babylonians and were attributed uh, with the invention of diagnosis, prognosis, physical examination, and uh, and remedies therapies being introduced. So they started to, uh, you know, thousands of years ago, they were looking at um, somebody coming in with something, examining them, uh, diagnosing them. So these concepts have been around for, for thousands of years. Yeah, I even had that too. And they, they even created a diagnostic handbook, yeah. which was like... It was almost like the first guidelines for how to treat people. And like you said, that process of diagnosis, prognosis, and physical exam is very important because they're basically systematizing and implementing kind of a scientific framework for how to identify exactly. problems in a way that is kind of follows the same, um, the same kind of thought process. Yeah. So that's like an early framework for, for how we, we looked at, at treating people. Um, a lot of, there's a lot of accounts of like early healers using ointments, herbal remedies and all of that. The thing with medicine is that throughout history, there's been a lot of also charlatans and um, people using things like witchcraft. There's a bunch of, <laughs> like, it's just riddled with crazy shit yeah. along the way too. So I think that's where, when we get into more of the modern day medicine, um, the double-edged sort of it, but one good thing is that it, it really brought uh, science into it and melded science where, where we are seeing the, okay, we, we can protect people against all these charlatans and people using snake oil and yeah. all that kind of science stuff. Science is the remedy to that. Exactly. But 
you, you look in different parts of the world, ancient Egypt, India, China, they all kind of progress their own versions of medicine throughout time. Uh, traditional Chinese medicine has been around for uh, approximately 3,500 years, uh, and it's still used today. So they use things like herbal remedies, acupuncture, massage, exercise, and dietary therapy. Um, so a lot of that actually seeps into the therapies we still use today. Yeah. Um, so that that's interesting. Um, different parts of the world, again, had their different approaches. But I think one big t- turning point was uh, was in Greece, and uh, Hippocrates, so he's known as the the father of modern medicine, 460 BCE. So, so Hippocrates was um, again, you could call him. I don't know if you would call him a doctor back then, but essentially he was. Uh, he was. I a, think they a, called him physician. A physician, yeah. So he was essentially crowned as the father of modern modern medicine, and he had uh, a compilation of these these teachings that he developed over time like a massive compilation of teachings. Um, they, they called the uh, Hippocratic Collection. Then um, there was about 60, 60 overall uh, Greek medical works and books that that he developed. So he created a library of documenting li- yeah. what he did, how he did it. Um, Him along with some other people like Galen. And, uh, and there were some other big names at the time, but he was kind of the big the big shot um, in terms of like, hey, let's develop a system and let's kind of get thinking differently. Now, what's interesting back then is that this is so long ago, but he said, here are some quotes from him. Um, well, he has the Hippocratic Oath, the right? Hippocratic, so yeah. Which like, they still use today for doctors to swear in, first, do no harm. So exactly. before you even do anything, make sure you don't hurt people. And it's like this ethics guideline for physicians that has lasted the test of time. And I think now needs to be revisited when we look in the grand context of like, are we actually harming people with modern medicine? Yeah, and that's the i i i sorry iatrogenics you know talk where are we doing more harm are we causing actual yeah. deaths and things like that through un, unintended consequences and side effects and all of that but the first do no harm the confidentiality he wanted to kind of again bring legitimize medicine yes right i think again Which fighting against all of the charlatans and all of that the healers he's like okay we need something legit here and they didn't necessarily have like science as we know it at the time so that's interesting he's but he was using these scientific principles at the time saying we need to legitimize it here we need to help people there needs to be some sort of institution that that is legit that people can trust and people can go to so that's kind of what where he came in and before Um, we before we continue with the greeks two things i had written down that were interesting about you know you talked about the egyptians indian traditions and the chinese traditions um one thing in egypt was they had a pretty robust medical tradition, but the practice of medicine was really specialized to the point where each physician was a healer of only one single disease, hmm. which I found interesting because it's like, it kind of sounds like today where we silo ourselves into individual things. Like there's a lot of specialization in modern medicine. And if each person's stuck in their own silo, but a bunch of diseases affect each other, we actually miss the grand picture of how they affect each other and intertwine. Exactly. And then the other thing I had written was the Indian tradition um, of Ayurveda, which actually means complete knowledge of long life. That's that's the translation, which I think is really cool. It consisted of a lot of herbal practices, but essentially it was considered a, a, a base of knowledge that allows people to live a long life, which I thought was really cool because that's a it seemed like a really powerful meaning. Yeah. So. No, so these these ancient bases of knowledge, um, we can learn a thing or two from them. And I think, sure. I think we'll get into that. Um, but again, it, it gets really interesting because, like, as you say, there's different approaches that were taken. But if you look at some of the main quotes that Hippocrates had back then, even um, one of them is walking is man's best medicine. Yeah, that's um, powerful, especially today. Exactly. Another one is let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. Um, another one is if we could give every individual the right amount of nourish, nourishment and the right amount of exercise, not too little, not too much, we would find the safest way to health. Wow. This guy so, was an OG. He knew. So these are kind <laughs> of the, the basic day. principles back then that, that people, people knew, but I think their concern back then, which is, which is interesting is that they probably didn't have to deal with as much of these lifestyle preventable diseases that, no. that we had. So I agree. even though they knew all of this, they they had they probably like thousands of years ago people were doing physical labor people were walking people were eating more natural stuff they weren't eating processed foods they were probably sleeping more natural they didn't have the internet they didn't have light so it's like true even though they knew all this 
it's like it wasn't as big of a concern because it's like well yeah most people are probably living kind of close to that anyways yeah. you kind of have to i mean the right amount of nourishment they were probably concerned with getting more food and more nourishment because it was a time with more more food scarcity and things like that but well, they probably saw not too little not too much they probably saw a bit of that in ancient rome where all these like well, like the kings getting really the kings and all the um politicians like yeah. I, I watched gladiator not long ago and all the politicians they're just sitting in their robes and feast all day on wine and food and no, they're exactly. just like you know i think the uh gluttony was probably something he saw and he probably saw a disease coming from mm -hmm. that where like people would stop moving and they just bask on these in these big areas and just feast and it's like you can Those develop probably. problems a, like a very small subset of the population tiny subset and they're like oh but that's what happens when we take it overboard so yeah. so so then they're like okay well we need to you know walking and but basics. now that has so much more context now that has that's so much it. more relevance every single yeah. one of those things let food be that medicine well food is poisoning us right now really um walking no one really walks anymore and f nourishment and physical activity not too much not too little allows people to be healthy like that uh -huh. is so that is such a powerful message yeah and there's more quotes like that you can find from him too. So this is back again, thousands of years ago. But I think that the fact that these things were probably are probably actually way more relevant today than they were back then. Yeah. Back then they were, what was more relevant is things like eradicating. Well, they didn't even know what bacteria was. They didn't know what microbiology was. True. So a lot of the, the things that were actually killing people, people are trying to figure out like, how can we, how can we, save people from these causes of death back then a lot of them were things like diarrhea infections so they uh, needed some magic because they couldn't explain these things there wasn't germ yeah. theory there wasn't yeah. any knowledge of microbiology there was no microscope so you know part of it is part of the woo woo or the 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 you know the guesswork back then with magic and go and the will of the gods and all that kind of stuff was essentially a way to try and rationalize what they were seeing without understanding any framework to get an actual scientific explanation for it. Yeah. So some of these things like the humors and, yeah, the and theory all of this, the humors. like these are just phases where it's like that was probably the best guess at the time. That That's right? the thing. So even Hippocrates back then, he was documented as, as practicing cardiothoracic surgery back then. <laughs> So, so if you th that's crazy. So Without there was aesthetic. a bunch of surgeons that were throughout history that came about, and I, one document I was looking at said that there was like even barbers who would get into the surgery game. <laughs> it was like there was just people acting as surgeons. There's people cutting people open. So there was a bunch of which again is important to establish some sort of legitimized medical. <laughs> framework That's so crazy. it was like hey we don't want random people cutting into people yeah it's um, like yeah i'll have a bowl a number two bowl cut and uh, a lung removed <laughs> yeah, today <laughs> okay so, so the first medical schools showed up as early as the ninth century and they became more common um over the next few centuries in in england france italy um mainly going through these actual works of the of hippocrates aristotle uh, and Galen. So it was still like this kind of stuff. So it didn't really change too much over time, but the works of these like pioneers were actually just being taught to more people. So it's almost like this yeah. framework was just being spread over time throughout different places into like f formal institutions. Formal too. institutions. Like, I think the, the yeah. medical school moniker is this very like pristine, prestigious um, kind of like has this connotation of that with it which I think was probably very well founded initially, right? Like For these sure. are the people that hold the keys to keeping you healthy. They have to be very structured. They have to be science-based. They have to have some formality and, and they also have to have credibility, right? Like I think, I think that's the biggest thing that Hippocrates helped to do was create a, a, a database of knowledge that could help to give credibility to this thing that we call medicine, which yeah. is important for the public perception because they have to know, okay, well, if I have problems, I know that I can go there and get good advice. That's the thing. And it was like that for a long time, right? If you have like smallpox or if you had some weird viral thing, you wanted to go somewhere, have them figure out what the heck it was that you had and have them give you something that gets rid of it. That was important. And that was the mainstay of medicine for a very long time. Yeah. And you don't want somebody either ripping you off, robbing you, yeah. uh, deceiving you, harming you, killing you, yeah. that type of thing, which holds true to this day. Um one thing I found was in Britain by by 1600, there's approximately 500 medical practitioners uh, in London, so mm -hmm. of of a population of about 200,000. Um, but it said that most of them were unlicensed, so about half of them were unlicensed. About 50 were physicians. Uh, there was 100 licensed surgeons, and uh, and there was about 100 apothecaries, so people dispensing uh, medications and drugs. Hmm. Um, the first the first dispensary 
dispensing uh, medications in London was in 1700. So wow. that's when we saw people, okay, there's, there's a legit place to go to get uh, medication or, or remedies and things like that. But that's kind of, again, these remedies have been used over time, but they hadn't been really legitimized yet. And still in the set, like in 1700, we're just starting to see that a little bit. It's funny how you look at that and then you look at the modern pharmacy and I did, I, I fired out a story post the other day. I went to get something in the mail and the Canada poster within Shoppers Drug Mart. Yeah. And I walked through Shoppers and the first 50% of everything I saw in the entire store was candy. <laughs> and it's around Halloween. So they're, they're, but it's like the place you go to get medicine to combat disease, one of which is we eat <clears throat> way too much sugar, is a place that literally has more candy than any other store I've been to in the past like several months. Very true. It's so weird how it's shifted from like, I would love to see what the first apothecary looked like. It was probably like glass jars with herbs and stuff everywhere. Yeah. And now you're basically buying drugs in a candy store. And it, I think it was a very powerful kind of way of seeing uh, this is how things have shifted. Like yeah. money runs things. That's that's it. <laughs> and it, it's it's taken over completely. So if we let, go forward so, a bit. Yeah. So we talked about ninth century. And then where's the next stop? Well, basically all the way through the uh, 10th, 12th century, all the way through to like 16, 1700, things were were going kind of status quo. There was more medical schools opening up, more medical training um, and things like that. But again, it, it wasn't until the 18th, 19th century that science really started to enter the field. And that yeah. started to kind of further distinguish legit le medical practitioners from charlatans, people talking non-scientific woo-woo uh, almost um, because we started to be able to prove uh, and disprove certain things. Yeah. But that was around the time where we, the germ theory um, to, to disease was, in, was invented too. Which is a big step. 18, uh, 1865, a guy named Lister, he came up with the antisepsis, so Listerine. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, bacteria was the root of uh, of sickness a lot of these sicknesses and they they did, they found that the that it was actually the the study of microbiology that uh that came about and they're like oh there's these little microorganisms and that's what's causing a lot of these deaths and a lot of these yep. diseases that's what's killing a lot of people and they developed ways to investigate them and and they they all i think 19th century was also anesthesia so now when you did surgery you didn't have to look at someone chop it into you so that's yeah. another big development of medicine that's the thing so for example in in 1900 pneumonia tb and diarrhea were um the top three leading causes of death according to one source i looked at so wow. basically these are all microorganisms um causing death pneumonia yeah. and, and, or the the offshoot of microorganisms causing death so so until you know how to like identify them and see them yeah there's no way of knowing how the hell to treat this because we can't even see you can't treat what you can't see that that's it so so this was massive and i think this is one of the big shifts it's like oh now we know now around the same time if we get into the the uh, 1900s there was it was discovered that microorganisms can inhibit the growth of other microorganisms so what this is led to the discovery of things like anti antibiotics penicillin hmm. penicillin 1928 so it's like oh we can use these things to eradicate these things um so, so which this is, is massive this in, is huge in, like in terms of that was a rapid advance in science to go from not even knowing what the heck these things are to being able to identify them being able to engineer things to combat them which are which were extremely effective right like when that yeah. happened you know all these you know things like the plague or polio or, or measles like we basically eradicated those things in a tiny fraction of time once science started to develop for sure so we've got the infiltration of antibiotics which again if we look at the top causes of death great it's eradicate this starts to eradicate like huge amount of of death disease yeah um, we're infection. taking off the big killers so so this is where it starts to explode and like you said around the same time the um you were, you were talking about the uh, painkillers or you were talking about things like morphine, right? So morphine was 1805. It was, it came about hmm. uh, anesthetics, right? So right. I found this funny. It was named after the Greek God of dreams, Morpheus. <laughs> really? <laughs> morphine. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So again, they isolated it from a plant. So it comes from a plant. Right. It comes from the poppy seed, right? Yeah. So, so we, we found, we found like, oh, now this was like this wonder drug because like you say, it was giving people, First of all, they used it as a painkiller. Second of all, they used it a lot in surgery, but it just swept all over the place. It's like, hey, this thing can actually calm our pain down. It can get us through things. Um, it can be helped in the times of war to get through pain. And a lot yeah. of this stuff, it just was like, boom. So that was like kind of the first major opioid um, 
and that was in like well, said, we, 1800s. Well, whatever you say opioid now, people think opioid crisis and how we're abusing them and it's a big problem. But back then, that was a groundbreaking, important, and valuable drug, right? That, yeah. that was very important. And it's funny how a lot of things, when we first developed them, get used for the right reason, but then we just swing the pendulum so far over that we overuse them, which is kind of where we are today. Exactly. So I think what this is showing us is that although we've used remedies, herbal remedies and things like this and, and quote unquote medicines throughout history, they really started to explode in the 18th and 19th century. And this yeah. is around the time when pharmacology started to really take hold too. So the science of developing new drugs and, and isolating compounds from drugs and things like, or sorry, isolating compounds from plants and developing new drugs. Um, again, into the 1900s, this started to really, really explode. So now all these new drugs are starting to come about to treat different things, which again, at the time, very relevant, yeah, eradicating a lot of death, a lot of disease. Um, What's interesting, though, is... And the process of science was there to be able to vet and give thing. some sort of system to developing these things when science was used with an honest intent. That's the thing. Because now, like we'll talk about this at the end, science can now be used in a very weird way. And so that's exactly it. At the start, very, very important in terms of breakthroughs. One other thing I'll note is just modern surgery started to really come about. They've been doing surgeries forever, but... The uh, in 1954 was the first kidney transplant, hmm. followed by heart, liver, and pancreas transplants. These are all in the 1900s. So this is all like these like crazy groundbreaking procedures are all very new as well in the, in the 19th century. Not that's so that's so close. It's very close. Like that's such a small time spectrum from where you know this started, where we're using herbs. You know, 60,000 years ago. All the way up to like only 150 years. We've We're talking really been antibiotics, <laughs> uh, surgeries, basically all of that. That's so crazy. Very in the yeah, you're right. In the time scale of things, this is just a little blip on the radar. Especially if we look at all of human history, very very small blip on the radar. But I think it's a good time to get into the pharmaceutical industry because if you look at where some of these companies, these major players were founded, it was around the same time. So. So Pfizer, founded in 1849, U.S. company. Merck, founded in 1917. Johnson & Johnson, founded in 1886. GlaxoSmithKline, Glaxo founded in 1873. Novartis, founded in 1859. This is all, all around the, the same so kind 18, of late... 1800, late 1800s yeah, and yeah, early 1900s. Early 1900s. This is when all of these... And what are... All of these companies today are, are massive multinational corporations um, that are some of the wealthiest and uh, most profitable companies that that we've ever seen. Yeah. And they're all founded around the same time. So we see this explosion of science, this explosion of pharmacology, explosion of drugs. But then we see these these companies making the drugs and we're saying, oh, okay. So now, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now it's it's like, okay, these are, these are really good things because they've just taken care of these leading causes of death. So I, yeah, I think I think these companies were probably founded with very honest intentions. Yes. I am not 100 sure, but I think a lot of them were actually founded by physicians, right? Who are like, okay, well, I want to bring legitimacy to this. I want to research how to make new drugs, how to fight new diseases that we might come across, and they're very, you know, they're created in a way where doctors are basically, from what I can understand, I, I haven't fact checked that, but from what I understand, the doctors created them, and it, they were doctor-run companies, and they were very morally and ethically aligned with get rid of these diseases that are killing a lot of people yeah and then it, they just kind of morphed into a different animal that that's the thing we we can hypothesize that when profit started to enter the equation uh, that kind of got to get out of control a long time along with the expansion of the overall economy in general yeah and the western economy i think that's what really influenced everything but and consumerism like like the i watched a documentary not long ago called the generation of wealth and they talk about how literally like back in the day it was actually very it was looked upon very good to be frugal to be um fairly like to to not show everything you have to live a very modest lifestyle you might have made a lot of money but you still drove like you know a not so flashy car you dressed in normal clothes you bought a normal house like this this um culture of extravagance where we show all of our shit we buy stuff that we can't even afford we want the newest stuff we want better stuff than everyone else that culture itself hasn't existed for that long no right like several generations ago that wasn't there and so i think and the uh, culture of exponential growth in terms of yeah. uh, 
the stock market and and the economy. Exactly. It almost created a perfect storm where now something that has shifted and and something that people need people you know the drugs have a valuable role and they and they've had a lot of victories like we don't want to under underemphasize the victories that modern medicine has had because it has done a huge amount of good but now we have to identify where modern medicine is going wrong and part of it is just consumerism and the profit driven mindset that now these companies are so lucrative that the dollar bills are starting to impinge on ethics are starting to impinge on the appropriateness of some of these drugs and look what they actually do. So a lot of the drugs initially were very good at attacking and dealing with sickness and disease and infection and, and acute illness after the fact. So so you, somebody come, come in with an acute infection, the, the oh, we have this new drug. It's going gonna, it's gonna to save your life. This is great. Uh, so this is, again, I think the fact that it eradicated all of these previous huge killers is great. But what do we have now? If we fast forward into modern times, Look at the list of the biggest killers. They're yeah. not diarrhea. They're not pneumonia. They're not TB. And again, these are, it gets confusing because a lot of people, the actual cause of death in the hospital might be pneumonia, but it might be because they had a bunch of other things that were caused by preventable diseases. So what you yeah. look at the biggest killer these days is all preventable lifestyle diseases. So we're talking heart, the heart diseases, the diabetes, obesity related illnesses, things like this cardiopulmonary diseases, um, even Alzheimer's. And you can argue how much uh, these are preventable, some versus others, but but the majority of these big killers are all preventable or have uh, preventable aspects to them these days. And they're all yeah. very lifestyle related. So if we look at, okay, lifestyle related, great. We can attack the, the, end, the end manifestation of these diseases. We can attack with the drugs. So let's say somebody gets uh, an an infection in hospital because they're on their last limb because they have diabetes because they're obese because of all of these things okay cool we can use these pharmaceutical drugs but we got to look at decades before that where did this exactly. call come from um so so that's kind of the the shift is that now we don't have a problem with with these infections anymore because the drugs can take care of all that pretty consistently mm -hmm. but we now have a problem with with these other diseases of civilization that come from modern food, modern lifestyle, and all of that. Yeah. So now, how effective is this as, a, as an overall overarching model? Yeah, because the killers, the big killers have changed. The big killers We're have no changed. longer, we, you know, these are completely new problems. In the grand scheme of things, even in the short duration that medicine's been around, the problems we face today are, are completely novel problems. And if you try and apply the solutions that worked for these diseases and infections in the, in the same context, right? Like trying to apply an acute treatment to control symptoms and to get rid of a single variable, right? Like there's one microorganism that's attacking this person's body. We need to mount an all out defense with this drug, which can be very effective at getting rid of that enemy. Yes. But now what's the enemy? The enemy is ourselves. The enemy to, is like the way we live in this modern world. And there's no pill that you can give someone that is facing the modern enemy of cultural, of modern culture and the modern lifestyle. Yeah. Right. You can't give someone a pill that deals with them sitting all day, that deals with them eating fake foods all day, that deals with them not sleeping. That does, that model doesn't work anymore. And so no. we're. The we're, model of Hippocrates, the, the initial things that he said, those quotes are very applicable. Are very, yeah, so, for sure. So we need to start looking at the really get way ahead of the problems. I think that's where it needs to go. But. But I think this is, it kind of shows you like, okay, things have shifted super rapidly in the, probably in the last couple centuries, I would say, yeah. based on what we've, we've found here. Um, things and it's have just, shifted rapidly in the past couple of decades, I think. And that too. Because I looked up those figures from the drug companies and, and how, you know, like <clears throat> being able to advertise drugs to consumers, like direct consumer pharmaceutical advertising is the most powerful illustration of how much money and how messed up things have gotten, right? When drug companies are, are allowed to advertise to consumers, which know very little about actual physiology, about medicine, right? Mm -hmm. Like, why are you, shouldn't your doctor be telling you what drug is right for you? And it, like, shouldn't that be the way things are going? Because if a company advertises to you and says, ask your doctor if this drug is right for you, well, your doctor is no longer your doctor, it's basically just your drug dealer, right? Well, you should not be telling your doctor what drug you need. This is a very weird, twisted thing. And actually, I was looking up stats on this and, you know, direct consumer drug ads 
really exploded in 97 when the FDA relaxed um, kind of the laws around advertising drugs to consumers. So to give you an idea, in 1990, there was 47 million bucks spent on direct to consumer advertising. In 95, which is five years later, it was 340 million. So this 3000% increase was the was because of the fact that drug companies were like, ooh, this is working. So they increased it. But then in 97, they relaxed all these standards. And the next year in 98, it ballooned to 1.2 billion. It's crazy. So obviously drug companies were like, okay, we don't advertise to doctors anymore. Now we're allowed to advertise to consumers. Let's put these people looking like they're living amazing lives on TV. Everyone's going to be, everyone's struggling with pain. They're going to see that and be like, Ooh, I need that. That person looks happy. I want to be happy. I'm going to ask my doctor if I can get that drug. And now the top grossing drugs are not there to fight infectious disease. No, they're there to manage the preventable lifestyle diseases. Exactly. To manage the symptoms, manage the symptoms of of preventable lifestyle disease. Exactly. Like Humira, Humira is the top grossing drug. Okay, I think it was uh, 2018 sale. 2018 sales, 19.9 billion dollars was Humira, and Humira is a drug that's said to essentially treat rheumatoid arthritis. So this is an autoimmune disease based on inflammation, psoriatic arthritis, same thing, ankylosing spondylitis, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, psoriasis, like all these things come from a body that is just under threat. Like this, this systemic inflammation is the right response from a biological point of view you are attacking your body on so many fronts it's doing everything it can to adapt and it's being overloaded with inflammation so you're taking this biologic drug that costs a huge amount of money wow to try and combat all of these symptoms of a lifestyle problem and that's the top grossing drug making billions of dollars and that's where this whole drug thing has gotten to because someone that has all those things and feels like crap and sees an ad for humira with someone smiling and without pain wants to try Humira. Yeah. And that's the problem is we're giving this little kind of carrot, we're dangling a carrot or we're dangling like this piece of candy in front of people saying, oh, you can have this, but it costs a lot of money, but just ask your doctor. It's okay. And we're not talking about the fact that they're currently sitting on the couch and probably been there for four or five hours watching TV where they're seeing this commercial. And the these basic lifestyle changes are actually really simple to make, to start making. Yeah. Right? Like Rome wasn't built in a day. You can't offset 30 years of damage in one day, but you can start. And we're, we've we've removed the focus on prevention. And I think that's where we got to where we are today. So pharmaceuticals are, they came to dominate the treatment model Yeah, in, in medicine. And maybe there was a, you can kind of see how it slipped in and how it worked there. Because mm-hmm. it's like, it was a miracle with the, the advent agree. of, of, modern microbiology and these initial drugs uh but but then it got slippery and then they did their thing very well but then now like you say they're trying to attack every facet of health yeah and they're just trying to attack symptoms so now they're not doing a good job and they're actually really confusing us into into even what what health means and what health is and and even they've infiltrated the like you said, they're able to advertise directly to consumers, but they've also infiltrated the medical uh, uh, situation so hard, the medical training, the, the medical the, establishment. That's the crazy. They've, they've infiltrated part. that so hard that now literally what they learn is uh, mostly that. It is mostly yeah. on pharmaceuticals and, and how they can be effective at. Um, but again, if, if you look at that, then it's we're dealing with everything is dealing with it after the fact that's the i think the biggest it's all point reactive to, it's all reactive yeah because in order to treat something in order to treat a symptom or or in order to treat an infection it, it has to already be there the yeah. actual disease is already there so an infection might be an acute infection might show up just because you you whatever you infected um from a cut or something like that so that can be a quick thing but these diseases of modern civilization these preventable lifestyle diseases they take decades to build so now you're only starting to treat them. Um, and that that's the other thing is like we we just look at like, is the person diseased or not diseased? And then we make the call like, okay, you're good. But we don't yeah. look at, it's a, just because the absence the absence of disease, we, we like to say like we have a clean note of health. It's like, well, I don't have any diseases or I don't have any like, yeah. I'm not quite diabetic yet, so I'm good. Yeah, you might be but on the like, threshold of like uh, one millimole away from being considered diabetic and you're just considered, yeah, you're good. Come mm-hmm. see me when you have diabetes is basically the approach. And yeah. it's one of those things where I think it being reactive 
it's kind of a it's kind of two parts because it's reactive so we're waiting till problems develop which is silly yeah but even when we react it's reactive in that it tries to address a cause reactionarily even when we react it's only addressing symptoms it's not yeah. even touching it's not even trying to discover why the problem is there and i think our, our reliance on drugs in and of itself can be bad some drugs can actually harm people but i think the bigger harm has come from our reliance our tunnel vision of relying on drugs has come at the expense of not paying attention to all the shit that really matters yeah right like we like jeff has done his md and he talks about medical school as basically advanced drug rep training is what it has turned into mm -hmm. and so not only are you tunnel vision getting tunnel vision into the uh, in, into learning about drugs but you're also not learning about sleep you're not learning about food you're not learning about movement so it's crowding out this over reliance on drugs is that don't even treat the problem they just treat the reactionary the symptoms that present way far down the road we've essentially negated any focus on the things that matter which is how to live a lifestyle that's in in alignment with your biology right how do you live a life that agrees with your human body to create a, a state where you can be in good health instead of diseased that we, needs to be the overarching framework that needs to and be the focus that needs to be exactly that that that's the overarching framework but then the the medicine and the um the pharmaceuticals also need to apply as a subset of that but but now we've we've seen it's the opposite so now it's like what's dominating is what's currently going on and then now people are starting to see you're starting to see things pop up like preventable medicine or uh functional medicine functional and things medicine, like some yeah. like things like this people it's almost like a little small niche saying hey we should probably start to look at these things but then the the, the vast majority of the the whole machine is still this so i think the biggest switch that needs to happen is the complete 180 there so it's like they still have a role and they yeah. still are there to manage pain we have to recontextualize it's, it's That's just the thing it's not saying because i think people take it too far to saying like all drugs are, are are bad and they you know it's like they have a huge role still and they have a huge role to get us through some of these surgeries and they they have it everything that modern medicine has gotten us is completely valuable in the right context yes it's all context dependent exactly. however it's not dealing with these these big problems and these big killers that have presented themselves and and back to ancient times they were their bigger biggest concern was these things that were killing us and I and I'm just making an assumption that they were probably living healthier lifestyles, like we said at the start. I think so too. So so now it's just that's shifted. So it's this weird shift in in the situation where the model that we've been using that got us to to this place is no longer effective in its in the way it's currently being used. So and we talked about this like before we started. It's like novel problems and and this disease of lifestyle is completely novel. It's completely new. Novel problems need new solutions. Right. We can't use old solutions to new problems because they just don't fit. Right. They might cover it up a little bit, but they don't work in the end. If you look at the way medicine is right now, what our spending is at, what the forecasted expenses are, it's it's completely unsustainable. So we need solutions. And we even talked about like what happened to public health initiatives, like what happened to mm -hmm. the PSA that's on TV that said, hey, wash your hands before doing X or, you know, like probably you should wash a wound after you get an, ex an exposed wound into your skin. Like the general that, public yeah. should know these general principles. But now the shift is, you know, hey, most of your waking hours should be spent moving instead of sitting. Or, hey, you need to minimize the amount of heavily processed foods you're eating because that's going to cost, come at a, a significant cost in terms of your health. Like none of these public health initiatives or general education for the public um, seem to be in the forefront. And that's like, that's literally the goal of TFC app is give people a basis of, of science-based knowledge that anyone can access so that they can, it's basically a public health initiative to educate the public on the basics of health because yeah. they're not getting it from anywhere else. And it's, it's almost like, so if we establish that it's a lifestyle cause, then the, the, the model needs to be such that there's people that can be of assistance and help the lifestyle problem, right? Yep. So maybe let's say and the different, family... Different roles too. We yeah. talked about that. It has to be a team-based A team-based approach. I think that if we're, if we're talking potential ways to, to restructure things, let's say that the family doctor is... If the family doctor is the main first person to go to... And they should be the quarterback. They should be able to oversee everything. That's the thing. So so let's assume that they're, they're the first line of somebody. Um, 
Now they need to take a, a very active role in somebody's health over time and start looking at these things. So, Hey, if a, if a child's obese, this is a big thing. The obese child is the person who ends up with diabetes in their forties. Like this is, it starts very early and we need to start addressing these things at younger ages. Why is your child obese? Why, you know, and then everything else along the way. Um, but I think we need to, to start really being trained. They need to be trained well to catch these things and yeah. then have the resources to be like, Hey, if you need help with this, I can give you some, some tips and some guidelines, but, but also go see these individuals, go see that individual, um, go see these people who can help you with this specific lifestyle related issue, because we're seeing that this in three decades is going to show up as this. Yeah. And we need to start put, putting the lines together and saying we need to catch things a lot earlier. And the family doctor can be that good um, you know, person to catch these things and then direct people to the appropriate resources. Hey, you need to see a psychologist because it looks like it's, you know, you've, you've got some sort of problems with with these bad habits that you like it, whatever it is we need to establish yeah. a system that that attacks this lifestyle way in advance of when the actual symptoms start to show up because as we know that's way too late and then the only thing we seem to have now is the medical these sort of the pharmaceuticals that come and say hey we've got your back now cool it, it's just it seems very it's so simple in nature um not implementing it but it's it's a simple idea in in yeah. that like clearly we're missing the root cause exactly and and people like the buzzword root cause and once you talk to, to people about root cause they're like oh yeah i want to address the root cause but then it's like well we, we aren't addressing root causes very well at exactly. all how so. deep like we just have to go deeper right people think oh the root cause oh, i need to exercise more that's not the root cause fyi oh for everyone if you're obese the root cause is not exercise Okay. It's a component of it. It's a component, but it's movement will probably be a more fitting way to explain that. Yeah. But exercise, like it doesn't matter how much you, you can exercise every single waking hour of your day. But if you're cramming donuts in your face or, or you're eating a lot of processed foods, no amount of exercise can offset the negative effects of that. No amount of exercise can offset 10 hours of sitting during the day, not even two hours of exercise. In fact, exercise turns into a risk factor if you do that. So it's, it's exercise. It's cleaning I think it's up just the, the simplifying things. Yeah. The combination of all of the pillars, how they mix together, exercise being one very good one for, for a lot of things, but it's mixed with the sleep you're getting, with the diet, with your lifestyle overall, with the amount of, you know, the sedentariness. So it, you're right. It's like, it's almost like we need lifestyle people to help people with design their lifestyles a little bit well health coach i think is a term that has come up and yeah you know um and i think is a good i th i don't know it's a pretty g like gray term right a lot of people can say call themselves a life coach or a health coach and i think a lot of those people might not be the most effective people but you know chris kresser in his book unconventional medicine talks about participatory medicine and i think it's a really good term because it mm -hmm. essentially instead of just me telling you to do something it's you participating in what actually goes on with your care, you making an effort to understand, not just knowing that you got to sleep more. It's like, why is sleep important? How, what are things I can do to improve my sleep? Like, what are the smallest wins that I can start to accumulate? Because I spoke to someone the other day and, and they've like literally in the past eight months, they've lost 50 pounds. They have way more energy. They've completely changed the way they eat. They haven't actually started to exercise that much more, right? They move a bit more. But the first thing that they stopped doing was they would drink six cans of Coke per day and they just stopped drinking Coke. And guess what? It wasn't that hard. And they didn't stop eating the junk food or eating desserts before bed uh, or exercise a huge amount more. They just stopped drinking Coke. That was their first step. And you know what? For that person, if they found that really hard, drink one less Coke per day. And then next week, drink two less Cokes than you usually do, right? It's like, how do you coach people to have these small wins? Because when people say, okay, I'm not going to eat junk food. I'm not going to drink Coke. I'm not going to have coffee. I'm going to exercise every day. Is that real? Is yeah, that realistic? I don't think it is. Realistic and pragmatic about it. And, yeah. and I think that the doctor needs to see the same thing is because the doctor might just have the, the or like you say, they need to send them to somewhere that, that they can trust. But it's it's one it's too overwhelming to say the doctor says you need to get more exercise it's like the same same type of thing yeah. um, and it falls like, on deaf ears it's like it's five, meaningless yeah so it's like well how do i actually do that okay well because again it's 
And it's, it's not the doctor's job to know what to tell that person to no. do. It's their job to identify that that is a big factor. And here is someone that I know is good at helping coach people on how to start doing more of that, right? Like yeah. they have to be the quarterback, but they also have to vet all the people that they're referring to. Because if you, we see it all the time, a doctor sees a patient, their knees hurt. They say, go to physio. They go to some physio chain that is the biggest load of crap ever and essentially is just trying to find out how much money can we make from this person it's sad to say it really is especially considering both physios it kind of hurts my feelings to say this but this is the situation people need to know that this is the situation and you know i think we see it you see it at optimize where a patient comes in they get an hour long session one-on-one with a physio there's not four patients with that physio at once, which is essentially seems to be the standard in this city. Mm-hmm. Um, and they get better and they get better with less visits and they get a better understanding of their body. And they go back to their doctor and say, Hey, this is what I got. I'm really improving. I have a bigger sense of control over my health. That doctor refers a lot more people to optimize because they, they understand yeah. that there's, they understand the standard at that clinic is different than other clinics. And I think the doctors, physicians need to, they don't need to focus on knowing everything about what that patient needs to do, right? Like physicians shouldn't be printing out exercise sheets for patients. You hear that sometimes and it's like kind of silly, but they do need to know what is, what does that person need and who can I send that person to knowing that they're in good hands? Yeah. That's important. That's, that's the thing. You need to uncover what is the, what are some of the lowest hanging fruits for this person in front of me? And then who can actually start addressing these pr- more pragmatically and looking at like, how do we actually start implementing these things? Yeah. But the, the physician needs to know that these are the main things that we need to look at. They need to have that wherewithal and that training to, to know that, no, it's these things. It's, it's their lack of movement. It's their diet. It's these, these things that we need to, to deal with. We need to deal with them now. We don't need to deal with them when the disease shows up. Yeah. Uh, so it's, yeah, it, it's, Again, if you on on paper, it's it's like yeah, that this sounds very. It's how how it's implemented is the is the tricky part, but it it needs to happen. But I still think awareness is the biggest limiting factor. Implementing things is yes. There's some, see that's where having a guide, like look going to find someone, a, another person that is a professional in that realm, whether it's food, whether it's movement, or whatever it is, is helpful to get guidance. <clears throat> but being able to go there with a baseline level of understanding. If you understand sleep at a base level, movement and food and the value of, you know, disconnecting from technology once in a while and the value of just being with your your own thoughts for, you know, so that you can process things and have a, a, a better edge on mental health. If you know a baseline level of knowledge of all these things, you can get so much more when you go and see. If you understand the value of movement and where you can potentially start and start to weed things out of your life, when you go to see a physio, you can get way more out of that visit if you have a base context before you even go in. It's so it's so true. I think it's so powerful. But and also from a if you think about the way back to the training piece, if a doctor needs to fundamentally know that on it on a deep personal level, yeah. they need, they, they have can't, to live it. That well, that's it. That's it. They they can't be. They can see on a paper that exercise happens to be good for people, but until they actually know this and live it themselves and demonstrate it they can't they just won't do it justice and get it across to the point it needs to be get to yeah. get across i think it so that comes back to like how are we training individuals we happen to be training people in medical school it's one of the most unhealthy <laughs> lifestyles that you can yeah. talk about lifestyle diseases you're likely to be the most unhealthy of your life if in you're medical a, in medical school yeah. just straight how sad up, is that that shows up. you how little we know about it's about brutal. medicine <laughs> my cousin's in medical school right now and and she is you know overwhelmed with i mean the, the workload that they have i mean they have to get through a lot of stuff but requiring them to stay up neglect sleep she's not able to exercise right now nutrition goes down um stress levels go through the roof all of these main pillars it's literally like how do you want to create a disease 101 is is live that lifestyle for yeah. the long term and you're gonna get a one of these diseases like why it's, are you destroying people's health by teaching them health it's it's it literally makes no sense like why no. why can't <clears throat> that's why in the footner program there's projects one of the projects is you got to be able to get back to being able to do the squat you got to be able to have a certain baseline of balance on one leg like having these projects that essentially make you 
experience what you're going to be teaching people to see firsthand the struggles you're going to have and how you overcome them and having this community alongside you learning this stuff too and being able to go for them to be like hey i'm having a lot of trouble with my squat what have you been working on how have you figured it out oh shit that that seems to work really really well so why don't medical like why isn't a big part of medical school being healthy like yeah. work to be healthy yourself and then you'll discover and learn a huge amount. Put yeah. some of the stuff you're learning into practice, which shouldn't all be about taking drugs. It should be, hey, this is how much this is part how this much is sleep project, we should be getting. Part of this is a project on using all of your own bodies as N of one projects exactly. throughout this whole thing so that the graduating class knows, oh, here's what we've learned in the textbooks over the years, but also here's how we've learned because this is a place to to learn uh, and to develop a, no- a deep knowledge of health, let's all learn together and let's all figure let's out. Let's live health. Yeah. Let's find out. That would be such a, a great Because then what can we impart with our patients? Now we can we can use what we learned over those four to, to six years to to not only uh, learn all of the, the knowledge, but, but also take these little lessons that helped. Because some of the deepest and most powerful things that I give to, to patients or clients that I see is that little things that worked with me. Hey, for me, this is what helped me exactly. when I was going through this. Yep. And they're like, oh, interesting. Not only does it, is it effective because I can give them more tangible, instead of just saying exercise more or you need to, it's like, no, for me, this is how I went about it when I was trying to do the same thing as you're trying to do right now. Exactly. And they're like, oh, cool. Not only does it connect with you better too, they're like, oh, this person had that too. So they went through the same thing. And if they're like, oh, they I'm were, having a lot of trouble with that, you can be like, yeah, I had that same struggle. Yeah. Like sleep for me has been a huge challenge to try and get aligned because it is so hard today to get good sleep. But yeah. it's possible. You have to know it's a big enough priority. But like all the things that I've tried to go through to engineer my life so that I can optimize my sleep are all struggles that everyone else is going to face. Yeah. And the fact that they weren't easy battles to win gives it that much more context when you're talking to someone you're like the hardest thing is probably going to be to not look at screens for a couple hours before bed. That is yeah. friggin' hard because Netflix is always there. You know, and Instagram the is always there of learning. So not only are you the person as the doctor who should be learning, oh, here's the importance of sleep. Here's what the new science says about sleep. Here's this, 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 this. You should be the person saying, trying to implement it with yourself and then saying, like you said, here's the little things. And we know sleep is important because I've researched all of this. Here's the little things that you might, might help you specifically yes. implement it. These little things like it gets so specific down to the individual because everyone's life is so different. So it's yeah. like for you, this might work for you because of the way your uniqueness, the unique situation you live in, this might resonate with you. Yeah. Um, but, but again, I think same thing with physio school. I was the most unhealthy I've ever been in, uh, in physio school. Me too. Just looking back because, um, it, yeah, just the the amount of studying, um, the lack of sleep. I actually got the the sickest I've ever been in my in my life uh, in in physio school at, at two different points, because and it was all around the times we were we were like overloaded. And, Remember my and back? Had, my, my back oh, was yeah. messed up. I couldn't even go to. I couldn't even get out of bed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Never before has that happened except during physio school. Your, yeah, that's great. That's a prime example. I I got. I had to take an, antibiotics twice because I had these like crazy like three week long um wow uh sicknesses and one was the, like this weird rash that like it was just i'm looking back yeah, you, got, like, oh. you got shingles didn't you yeah like we it just was redlined like, our bodies well, that was it was just redlining and again what is all that it's lifestyle again it's the fact that it's it's everything combined the sleep the lack of movement the poor nutrition the, the stress levels yeah just right what i just listed it's that and that's what caused that so the the back the antibiotic i took to get rid of the thing that that i was uh, that was again. I needed that antibiotic at the time. However, yeah. the reason why I was there is because of these things that we need to start addressing. Yeah. So, but it's kind of you know you look back in hindsight and you look at things. You're like, wow, that was a really shitty way of doing things. But also, it's like you can look at the optimistic side. When I came out of physio school, I had a blank slate for a really messed up body, and and I'm sure you did too. That we now had to figure out how to get healthy, right? Like yeah. you, it's almost like the biggest thing you learn in physio school is how not to live your life, so that you can then start to experiment and determine how best to live it to, for optimal health and optimal function. And those are really the key learning points that you start to implement. But if you just take the mindset that I learned this in school, this is the best way. I don't need to learn anymore because now I got all the information. You're not going to be a very effective therapist. No. And I think the same thing applies to medical school where they leave 
they've spent all this money. They need to make money. They need to practice. But the way the system is engineered is literally engineered for failure and engineered to remove like a sense of fulfillment and purpose with doctors. They see more people now. They work harder. They get paid less. And they don't know how to deal with all this stuff. And they're just getting redlined because they're trying to help people. But they're yeah. basically handcuffed with you know, not knowing the right information to actually give them, which is actually way simpler than what they learn in school. We just have to, that's, we just need a platform where everyone can access the best information at, at, at this period of time. And the information has to always be able to evolve. I look back at the way textbooks are done in school, for example. And in the age of the internet, where I can talk to you on the phone on the other side of the planet, why are we still relying on textbooks where you know, we talked about how quickly science improved in the 19th century with, you know, germ theory, with antisepsis, with anesthetic, all that kind of stuff. Today, science moves very, very quickly so that a truth that exists today in a month from now might not exist. Because you know what? Science is always there to prove you wrong. It doesn't give a shit about your opinion. It doesn't give a shit that you did things this way for a long period of time. It is a true compass for what should be done based on the ability to test something and retest and have other people test and verify. And at some point, someone will say, oh, I did it and it got a different result. And then other people will test that. But I really think that a textbook that you take a year or two to write and edit and finalize, by the time it's published, there's a high likelihood that most of that information is no longer even valid. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, one thing we're trying to do with the Footner program is create a digital online live curriculum where it's like someone can literally go in and pull up a chapter and say this isn't the truth anymore and rewrite it and that gets accepted as the standard and voted on by everyone saying yeah i find this true or this reflects our current truth you need kind of this evolving database of information because this whole textbook idea or curriculum idea where you go through school and then you've learned everything and then you practice that you information update your yeah you never update you because you're oftentimes it, that career makes you unhealthy even as a physician, which is this weird thing. So we just got to air out major concepts. It's like health is not just a destination. It's a process. And you always got to, if you're a health professional, the onus is on you. You have an agreement, this unsaid agreement that as a health professional and as a resource for health, you need to constantly be striving to up your game, to try and continue learning. And the good thing is the learning happens yourself by just trying to be healthy. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it really is. It is an interesting how, health will always be one of the biggest concerns for people. And I think that we need to start looking at it more seriously in terms of getting on top of it. It's, it's just, it's the human condition. We don't want to, we only, we don't want to look at it until something is already yeah. in place. The problem's already there. Um, we don't talk and, about and it until it's jammed in our face. It really is shifting some major responsibility back onto each individual too and figuring out how we can do that because it's not like it's almost there's this feeling that medicine will save me or it's the responsibility of of the the medical uh you know framework to to save me or or keep me healthy but it's like no it, it really comes back to each individual also taking personal responsibility for their yeah. own uh, and i think that is the message that needs to come out from from each and every healthcare provider too it's like hey we're going to do this together but you know, we need to take some serious responsibility here because it's it's the combination of of us knowing what to do, but it's also the combination of every single person doing their the little things each day yep. that make them healthy in the long run. Because it's not going to work if 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 you don't uh, if you don't do your part too. So I agree. Dan Butner said it beautifully. He's like, we always search for this magical solution to health, when in reality, health comes from doing the right things and avoiding the wrong things for decades and decades. That's yeah. how health happens. It starts it's, now. It starts now. It starts every day. And and the beauty is, is like, you know, some of the stuff becomes doom and gloom of how we went so wrong, but those also present the biggest opportunities, right? If, if I know good, more about so many things, we know. Oh my God, we have access to everything now. That That's the, uh, you're right. It's, it can be looked at it com the completely opposite way is like science has brought us such amazing ways to look at Again, it's always in the process of uncovering truths, but we know so much that we have all the resources in the world now to actually become healthy. And you're seeing a subset of the population who is actually living that. You're seeing people live longer than ever. You're seeing people, active people in their 70s, 80s, even 90s, more than ever, right? So you're you're seeing like, uh, but this is the minor minority. It's, you're yeah. seeing a subset that is, oh, great. Certain people actually can take this information and can take 
all of this thinking and apply it to their own lives and really do good more than ever. I agree. Um, but again, uh, the, the vast majority of the population is in more of a struggle than ever because of all the other things that we've talked about in previous episodes and the, the, the industries and the, the, the food industry, the pharmaceuticals and everything that's just technology, everything we've talked about that that's made it super hard to just actually to make use of all this good information, actually yeah. turn it into uh, uh, fruition and, and, and health. Well, people need clarity. And like, the you know, I keep talking about TFC app, but like, I think one thing people need to realize is that we didn't make something to try and sell people. We figured out all the problems and tried to solve the problems with a piece of technology. And the best way to do that now is with an application or an app that anyone can download. I think that the massive panacea of information available to available to us today is a miracle it's very cool right like we can access any information that was ever created by the smartest people you can take the hundred smartest people in health and consume like thousands of years of combined data knowledge and research in a very short period of time because you can distill it all from the best sources like books or like youtube videos from really reputable people the problem is the average person doesn't know how to sort through all the information yeah they don't know how to get rid of the 90 percent of the bad stuff right? That's untrue. That's not science-based. That's profit motive driven and separate it from the 10% of the really good stuff. And, you know, I, I've almost started to think of the Footner program, which will become the Healthner program as essentially a tribe of researchers. That's really what we are is how do we find the best stuff, the best information, whether it's written by us or whether it's just curated. Like if you find a really good video by someone, you know, is like Matthew Walker, you know, he, he's a researcher he is science-based and he talks about a topic like sleep in a, in a way that's very simple and understandable. If you find a good video by him, putting it into the app means that it has gone through our filter of this is valid, good information that is there to help people, makes things simple and is actually true. And if you create an application where people can go in there and not have to worry about vetting the information because the average person doesn't understand, you know, they just, they shouldn't be forced to go to know all the rigors of science right like the average person just doesn't and want the or that need change, to do that like you say like it's oh we used exactly. to think that it, it takes time for actually i saw some stat the other day that the amount of years it takes for the current evidence to be actually put into practice was something staggering i think it was in the teens wow and, and i and it, i don't know what they looked at or what but i think but the, i think the it's main true. Goal is we like it just takes a long true. time for yeah research to actually hit the road and hit the, the front line but by that time it's all it's all different yeah again. there's new stuff so so it's um it is tough so practitioners and the public need a vetted source of information and that is our mission to create with tfc app and that's really you know i think the solution is starting to re-empower people with the fact that they need to take a participatory participatory role in their health mm -hmm. and i think that sets the stage for this big transition where people can then follow suit where physicians can then say you know what i don't know a huge amount about sleep but if you go here this is all science-based information it's available to you for free if you have some sort of electronic device and I think that creates a good platform to then have conversations about, okay, well, who do I go for guidance yeah. or who do, you know, I, I just think that the more informed people are in the right way about health, the better we can deal with this problem that we're all, that we're dealing with. Right. And we, you know, no one has the magical solution, but a big part of that solution is awareness and education. And that's really, you know, you can, you, anyone that's listening to this, you can take back control of your health. You just have to learn about your body. Yeah. And we're trying to provide a good vetted information source so that you don't have to worry about researching a huge amount. You just get the distilled version, the 1% of the best info we've come across. Um, and uh, and yeah, I mean, I think that was a good episode on the history of medicine. And, and like we talked about, it's easy to see how we got to this weird place we are now when we know the context of history and how drugs used to be the biggest lifesaver. Um, but now and how the world has changed completely. So now what, what, what applied exactly. for thousands and thousands of years no longer applies within a small fraction of, of time. It's like, Oh, that that's, it's not even applicable anymore. Exactly. A lot of the stuff. So now we've got to just completely change the way we look at things and reframe what health is, um, as, as opposed to just looking at it as the absence of disease or things that are going to kill you. Yeah. It, it's something that needs to be, uh, worked on from day one. I agree. Change the, if you act like a healthy person, you'll be healthy. So change the way you live, move more, eat real food, become informed about how important sleep is and how you can start to make changes in your uh, daily sleep habits. These are all extremely powerful, although they might seem small initially. 
um, they can compound into huge changes. So hopefully that gives you a good perspective on the history of medicine and uh, things that you can do or places you can go for information that can help you uh, kind of rediscover what health means for you and how you can start working towards that. So we'll catch you next week.